Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and it's it's time again. It's time for the flashback episode where we look 30 years into the past at 1991. Uh, before that, I just want to say a couple of things real quick little bit of business please check out the needless things youtube channel two toy reviews a week one episode of the needless things podcast a week if if you don't listen to it on spotify or the podbean app or itunes or whatever uh you you can listen to it on youtube it's there as well uh unless it's a special episode that i don't want to get tagged with copyright stuff so those episodes don't show up on YouTube. Sorry, you're just going to have to track them down. Uh, this week on the Needless Things YouTube channel, I reviewed the new Frankenstein's Monster Ultimate Figure from NECA and the Rise of Evil 2-pack from Masters of the Universe Origins. Uh, both, well, Frankenstein I've only seen a couple of times now, but that Rise of Evil, you guys, I was panicking about finding that thing. And well, I would, yeah, you know what? That's exaggerating. I really wasn't panicking because I didn't totally feel the need to have Cronus and, and Keldor because I've got the classics versions. But just as a collector, you know, sometimes I just want to see something. Uh, with the initial run of McFarlane toys, uh, I did end up buying and reviewing a couple, but like really, I just wanted to see them. I just, sometimes you just want to see something. And while I knew I was going to buy the Rise of Evil 2-pack if I got it. It wasn't something that I was totally desperate to get, but I, ju- I did really just want to find it. Uh, so the, you can hear the whole story of what went down if you watch the review, but it's everywhere now. I've, I've seen like six of them in every Target that I go to. Uh, now, I don't know how long that'll last, but they were plentiful for a while. Uh, similar to how the G.I. Joe Classified series Major Blood uh, was plentiful for like a week. And I don't know if there will be more of that or not. But I saw plenty for a while. Uh, speaking of G.I. Joe, the newest episode of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast, will go up on Monday, July the 5th, as soon as I get it put together. So it'll it'll probably be more, like, it'll be closer to midnight-ish So you could just call it Tuesday if you really wanted to. But basically, we'll record the episode Monday night, and as soon as I get it produced, it'll go up. And we will talk about things like the Cobra Island Wave 1 re-release and Mezco's 112 Collective Roadblock. So tune in to that wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think there's a whole lot of other news going on. It's been a busy, busy week. I'm actually home alone, although it hasn't, it's, I I haven't, I had so many things I wanted to get done, but I was, I was home for two days with nobody else here except for the dogs and the dogs require a a certain amount of attention and maintenance. Uh, and then I had two work days that were just awful. So all of the things that I thought maybe I would get done during this time, 
I just didn't. I got I got my workout in. I got a walk in. I got three miles in. Uh, today, I, I will admit to you guys, today I skipped the workout. I'm going to do um, tomorrow. I'm either going to walk or mow the lawn, which I, I consider, believe me, I consider as a workout. Uh, and then Saturday, I'm going to add a workout on to make up for today. But I just don't have it in me uh, between the, the work days and I've got to produce this episode and I am recording a future episode tonight. It is an exclusive interview with the synth rock group Neon Warlords. I don't know quite yet. I think that's it's probably going to be next week's episode. There are a couple of scheduling things i got to work out, but uh, I'm excited for that. And I'm doing that like as soon as I finish this, this intro here. Uh, I will be doing that. So... Normally, I would throw some news at you guys. There's there are probably a few things to report. There were some uh, all the Suicide Squad figures from McFarlane are up for pre-order. The unmasked ones look honestly pretty crappy. Uh, some new wrestling figures, but whatever. Rather than do our normal news uh, to set the tone for 1991, I am going to run down uh, some some pop culture notes events, things from 1991 that are relevant that will put you in the right frame of mind to fully enjoy this episode. This is from a website called Pop Culture Madness that I haven't dug into too deep because I kind of went in, got my 1991 stuff and got back out, but I will be revisiting it soon because they there's a lot of interesting stuff, some of which you're going to hear right now. So, uh, rolling it back to 1991, according to Pop Culture Madness, the most famous person in America was probably Michael Jordan. People's People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive was Patrick Swayze. Nobody can argue that. On April 1st, the U.S. minimum wage went from $3.80 $3. an hour to $4.25 per hour, which, by the way, is how much I was making at my first job, which was Chick-fil-A. The price of a postage stamp in 1991, $0.29. Cents. A Super Nintendo, which launched in 1991, was $199.98. The funny guy was Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, the Conversation. Baseball officially banned Pete Rose from being elected to the Hall of Fame. Was it fair? I don't care because I hate be, uh, baseball. The only thing noteworthy about that to me is that uh, multiple-time WWE star Pete Rose is involved in that. And by the way, Mattel, you cowards, where is our Pete Rose versus Kane two-pack? Where is that? Let's let's get to work on that, huh? Uh, all right. Top 10 baby names of 1991. Ashley. Jessica, Brittany, Amanda, Samantha, Samantha, Michael, Chris, Topher, which that's weird to me uh, because I had never heard Topher until Topher Grace came along and he was obviously born before 1991, but also could have had no influence on names in 1991. Really weird. Uh, Matthew, Joshua, and Andrew. The hotties and fashion icons, only one listed here, Elle McPherson. 
Hollywood hunks and leading men. All right, brace yourselves. One is obvious, Patrick Swayze, sexiest man alive. The no-brainer. Other one? Gerard Depardieu. What? What? I never understood that. That guy was such a schlub and not like a not like a kind of cute, lovable Seth Rogen schlub, just like a a gross like go to a different aisle in Target if you see him schlub. I, I never understood it. Somebody explained the Gerard Depardieu thing to me. Uh, Time Magazine's Man of the Year, Ted Turner. And I cannot remember, is 1991... I'm trying to remember when WCW happened. I think it was pre-91, though. Uh, but anyway, Ted Turner, 1991, Man of the Year. Weird. Uh, the Scandals. Kentucky Fried Chicken officially changed its name to KFC, which I did not, I would not have placed that at 30 years ago. I would have placed that at like 10 or 15 years ago at most. But in 91 is when that happened. Conspiracists, which I don't know that that's a word, conspiracy theorists claimed that it was because they weren't selling actual chickens, but some kind of cloned, headless chicken bodies. So the original name was supposedly shortened so it would no longer be false advertising. There you go. I bet you didn't know that. Uh, and then our, our second scandal, Paul Peewee Herman Rubens was caught in an adult theater doing an, doing, uh, that's some grammar, doing an inappropriate public act. Uh, I would rephrase that to say uh, Paul Rubens was caught in an adult theater performing a sex act in public or a sex act that was inappropriate in public. Uh, not that any sex acts are appropriate in public, but uh, I think it's more appropriate there than like McDonald's or KFC. At least those didn't converge. At least Paul Rubens didn't wander into a KFC and start jacking it in a bucket of chicken. That would have been upsetting. That story wouldn't have gone away. All right, let's let's move on, please. The fr okay, this is I this is where I need some feedback from you guys for real. So hit up uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Twitter or join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group because I really need some kind of support for this. This is bizarre to me. Never heard of this. Never felt this way. The friendship paradox, a phenomenon that was first observed in 1991. On average, most people have fewer friends than their friends have. At the same time, they believe they have more friends than their friends have. What? This is so bizarre. I've never heard of this theory. I've never felt this way. I've never really had a conversation where I felt like anybody felt this way. Uh, I don't know where this came from. If you've heard of this, if you've felt this way, uh, please, please do let me know. Uh, in 1991, America's best-selling car was the Little Tykes Cozy Coupe, selling about 500,000 vehicles. Now, if I'm correct, the Cozy Coupe is that red car with the yellow top on it that literally every child born after, I guess, what, 1985 had. Uh, it, it's probably the best-selling car of all time. Uh, let's see here. 
A man found a first printing of the Declaration of Independence inside the frame of a $4 painting he'd bought at a flea market. It was later sold at auction for $2.4 million. In, in a 1991 New York Supreme Court case, Stambovsky versus Ackley, a.k.a. the Ghostbusters ruling, the court ruled that a seller must disclose or inform the purchaser of a haunting of a property. That's wild. Uh, and this, this is uh, the final one that I'm going to throw out here that is, is really more significant than you think it is because I remember this specifically the four dummies book series started with dos for dummies in 1991 the creator overheard someone in a bookshop ask if there was a book about dos for dummies like me since then the series has grown to about 2500 titles and i remember dos for dummies because my dad uh for his job at the time computers he was adopting computers very early on in order to do his day job the best that he could do it. Um, in 1987, we lived in Houston, Texas over the summer, which, let me just tell you, if you're going to visit Houston, why not go during the summer? Uh, but we lived there for a summer so he could work in an exchange program with another company, and he developed all this stuff on computer for this company, and the guy in the department that he was running was still like making notes in like spiral notebooks like piles and piles and piles of paper and meanwhile my dad is making spreadsheets and stuff in the computer and when he left he said you guys should really keep using this but he felt pretty sure they went back to the the pen and paper uh after he was done so that, that he was he was always very on top of that stuff so we had a copy of dos for dummies in the house in 1991 because my dad was just thirsty for knowledge always has been always will be uh so there you go that's a little trip back to 1991 so now uh, what is a i don't even know what a 1991 beverage is i guess it would just be coke classic right uh because it was i think it was still coke classic at that point uh but gr grab yourself a beverage whatever your beverage of choice is i'm getting ready to pour myself uh a fine glass of elijah craig you know i am uh, so I can do some recording, but but you guys, you get the joy of sitting back listening to the Needless Flashback crew talk about 1991. Enjoy. Joining me tonight, the needless flashback team of the lovely Beth Van Dusen. Well, hello. Returning to the show after an extended absence, our pal Red Ranger. Hey, from South Carolina. From South Carolina. Hailing from South Carolina. And finally, back on the show once again, Mr. Chris DiPetrillo. Thank you, thank you. Hold the applause. I wish I could roll my L's so I could make that <laughs> fancier, but I, I am in something that's, like that. That's more know. that's more like a chant than a roll. But that's okay too. 
<laughs> uh, all right, guys, we have gathered here tonight because it is time once again for our look back 30 years into the past at the pop culture of yesteryear. And this year, of course, we're looking at 1991. And we still uh, need to figure out if we're later in the year, maybe going to do an episode for 1981. I don't see why we wouldn't. Uh, but tonight is 1991. We're going to do our normal thing where each of us has several picks of favorite things from that year. Uh, and then we will also cover at some point something that's maybe a not so favorite. And I've just now realized uh, because I think all of us have gotten a little sidetracked today in our lead up that I have not written down an order for tonight. So show of hands. Chris, we can't see you, so this is not fair. My, my hand may be up or down. You know he what, can, Chris? You can do the reactions. Since we can't see Chris, Chris is going to go first. So that we are going to go Chris, Beth, Dave, and Sean is going to be our order this time around. So take us back to 1991. Chris, what is your first pick for awesomeness? All right, so my first pick for Awesomeness from 1991 is not just from 1991, but it is one of my first favorite everything. Uh, it is tied along with Swingers as my favorite comedy of all time. It's got sentimental reasons, and it is just a classic cornball comedy. I am talking, of course, about Ski School. Oh, I should have known that. I should have seen that coming. That is, uh, it is one of my favorite movies. You know, it came out uh, January 11th, 1991. So I was uh, just, I had just turned 10 in December. So this was not a movie geared towards me. But as I have mentioned <laughs> on previous podcasts, I was always watching things that were a little bit beyond my years. But my appreciation of Ski School actually came uh, several years later because I purchased a previewed VHS tape at the local video store, uh, which I still have, complete with the hard clamshell. And, uh, you know, this will not be a downer podcast. I'm not going to bring down the room, but my cousin actually passed away the same weekend. And the only thing that kept me cracking up and cracking a smile that whole weekend was repeated viewings of my ski school VHS tape. So, uh, it is a movie that has endeared itself to me ever since then. Uh, it is la my fandom has lasted through the years. It is quoted ad nauseum over and over with friends of mine. Uh, and recently, uh, I actually connected with Dean Cameron on Facebook, maybe about a year ago. And, uh, you know, typical, you know, kind of, you know, open book celebrity, like he goes back and forth with his fans and stuff. So I've interacted a few times with him. But somebody actually crafted a custom made ski school trading card set, which he then put into production. And they only wound up making 40 sets. And there is one en route to me autographed by the man himself. Oh, so that's incredible. If, uh, if that does not spell out my love for this film from the great year of 1991, I don't know what does. Now, are you going to get those things graded? <laughs> no, not, I'm not going to get them graded, but they will, uh, they will not be anything that little Zach sticks in the spoke of his bike wheels. I'll tell hey, you right, that. Right, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I love, I am, because of summer school, I'm mm -hmm. a huge fan of Dean Cameron. Uh, followed his career for as long as it lasted and ski school while it didn't hit me quite the same way it was one that I watched over and over it was I never owned it but it was one that was on the comedy rental list perpetually and it still gets aired I mean HBO has been showing it up until like a month ago 
like it's still in modern day rotation in an era where like those cheese ball moves. Well, it's your, it, it was almost at the tail end of the, I guess, raunchy comedy era. So it still has not quite the Porky's aesthetic, but it still has that feel of that decade of adult comedy. Well, adult teen comedies, I guess. I don't know how you The way that Dean Cameron himself uh, pitches it, he goes, it's the best 80s ski comedy made in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) That is accurate. Yes, 100%. Now, have you guys, Beth and Sean, have you guys seen Ski School? I feel like I've had to have at some point. Yeah, like it's it's not something I I haven't seen, uh, but I couldn't tell you the last time I saw it. Don't confuse it with Ski Patrol either. That's a common. (laughs) No. That's a common one. (laughs) No. Two very different ski comedies. Yeah, I feel like it probably came. <laughs> it probably came up on a on a USA comedy. Up All Night. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a USA Up All Night movie for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Beth, this one sounds right up your alley. You have to have seen Ski School. We might have lost Beth. She seems to be oh, frozen geez, in the picture. That is, yeah. that she is might be outdoors point. at ski school right now. That is a, <laughs> it's a very um, permagrin on uh, on Beth's video feed. Well, we're going to uh, it, ski school. Fantastic way to open this up. Definitely a you know it's funny because yes, it is an eighties comedy that happened in the nineties, but we were still like that that sort of thing was still trickling in up through i, I want to say like 94 we were still getting things that had that same tone mm-hmm. uh and it it's squarely in the pantheon of of if you were to get one of those like 25 movie dvd sets that mm-hmm. was the best of 80s wacky comedies it would it would be in there absolutely for sure. We, we need an homage to the, the whole 80s ski comedy thing. You know, we get that with so many movies nowadays, like those throwbacks. and. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like yeah. Why hasn't that happened? We, we, you know, because you, you got Hot Dog the movie, you got Ski School. Um, I mean, I think the last really solid ski comedy was probably when they did uh, the snowboarding one, Out Cold, in the early 2000s. Yeah, I would, I would love to see someone smart revisit that genre. I think there's a lot to be done there for sure. Well, awesome. Great pick. Love it. Uh, Beth, you're back. I'm back. Your camera's in motion. Once again, I I was told that my connection was unstable and I felt like I was being judged by zoom and (laughs) (laughs) more, more feedback. Yes. More feedback. (laughs) It's been a night of feedback. Uh, Well, Beth, what is your first pick for 1991? Well, I'm going to start. I was going to start with my very favorite thing, but I think I'm going to save my very favorite thing for later. So I will start with uh, those of you who joined before my husband closed the door might have seen that we had a Ren and Stimpy poster on our door. And that is an original Ren and Stimpy poster from way back in the day, as in back in 1991 when it came out and it was my favorite thing ever for a very, very long time. It was sick it was twisted and it was something sick and twisted in a way that we had not seen in a nickelodeon cartoon for sure before and while i was too old to be watching nickelodeon this cartoon was not too old for me to be watching nickelodeon 
It was very adult themed, but so, so catchy. Uh, My brother and I memorized some of Ren's uh, monologues, if you will, and we used to recite them to each other back and forth. I don't remember any of them by heart anymore, but I used to know a lot of them. (laughs) And we do want to acknowledge here that uh, we're aware of the the problematic John Kirk Falusi, but we can separate the the artist from the art uh but i but i do want to acknowledge that he is a a horrible human being that should probably be in prison but but, oh i i actually didn't know anything about any problems otherwise i wouldn't have brought up somebody problematic he well but the cartoon deserves to be acknowledged it's got a place in pop culture history it influenced literally every animated thing that came out after it so we can't ignore it uh, but I do, if, if anybody's unfamiliar with, with that situation and wants to educate themselves and perhaps change their perspective a bit, uh, just Google that. We're not going to get into it here, but he's he's a bad, bad person. But Ren and Stimpy was a landmark piece of animation, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up because I my the one trip to Universal Studios that I got when I was still a kid, the only piece of merchandise I bought while we were there was a Ren and Stimpy shirt because at the time, and so it was probably 91 when we went because you couldn't get Ren and Stimpy. You know, later on, probably two, three years later, you could go in like Spencer and Art Explosion. If you remember Art, who remembers Art Explosion? <laughs> um, and, and get Ren and Stimpy shirts, but at the time, they just weren't, anywhere to be found you could find i think simpsons shirts had really just started to hit big time then uh so we went to universal studios and that i got a ren and stimpy shirt and had it for years and years and it was it i i wore it like as often as my mom was willing to wash it uh but that that cartoon changed everything in the world of animation uh more memorable songs more memorable sequences uh log powdered toast man like all of these just insane things that were straight out of the pages of like underground comics from years and years before but now they're on nickelodeon uh just it's it it, i don't think you could overemphasize ren and stimpy's influence on pop culture it if you look at the newest mickey shorts that disney has been releasing there's an undeniable like line to i mean it's not the gross out stuff but it it pushes for particularly for disney pushes some of those boundaries and you can definitely see a ren and simpy style influence there. well and that the i think it's the zaniness yeah that, that was never really a landmark of disney cartoons but in you get ren and stimpy which led to spongebob which led to you know, you you could li- we could literally do an episode about the the wake behind yeah. Ren and Stimpy, or I guess ahead of. I don't know how to. I, I don't know. How time uh, I don't know. Who knows? Nobody does, and that's the secret of the time travel. Uh, but yeah, my it was one. It was on my parents' band show list, and I don't. I'll have to ask my mom if she remembers this or not, because she. I was not allowed to watch it. I did anyway. Uh, but I was not supposed to watch Ren and Stimpy. So I don't know how I ended up with that t-shirt. Um, I'm going to have to ask if she remembers that. Cause I, I don't, 
and and she hated it so much that she probably does remember why she would cave to buy me the t-shirt but then later on i would end up with they had the plush if you remember where stimpy farted like when you squeezed him he farted and ren i don't remember what ren did did his eyes bug out or something but those were like the first pieces of merchandise that started showing up and and it was you know, it, it's incredible. It's to this day, it holds up. Uh, if you can get past the ickiness, uh, it, it still holds up. It's still incredible. Yeah. Any other words about Ren and Stimpy? Chris, no, you were 10, so Chris? that was like prime age. Yeah, for me, it like you know, I watched it, but I didn't latch on to it. But I'm just remembering that that was kind of like the era where Nickelodeon was starting to transcend into okay, we don't just have little kids watching this stuff during the day anymore. We need to give them something, and it started that whole Snick generation. But Ren and Stimpy yes. was definitely the most—I don't want to say adult, but definitely you know—you had the stuff like uh, "Are You Afraid of the Dark" and and things in Clarissa and all those shows. That was even. Pat, you know, parents of kids that age, like 13, 14, I just remember like some of my friends that were older and they were like, oh, my mom hates that show. Oh, my dad hates that show. It's like, that was, it was like the Beavis and Butthead of Nickelodeon. Like no parent wanted, yeah. to, and obviously it predated Beavis and Butthead too. But that, you know, that's another tie in too, because the success of that, not only with Nickelodeon and everything, but then a couple of years later, you started getting Liquid TV, Beavis and Butthead, um, you know, the max, all that type of stuff. So well, what's it, interesting, it's liquid television, it's, it's, I'll go ahead and say it right now because I don't think we're going to get to it. It's one of my backup picks because it actually did start in 1991. Did it? And Frog yep. Baseball was part of the oh. first season. Oh, okay. I thought liquid television was more like 92. All right. I, if, yeah. if I, I had thought, thought off later. the top, if I'd thought off the top of my head, I would have thought the same thing. But in researching, uh, yeah, it started in 91 too. So we'll, we may end up talking a bit, little bit about that later, but yeah. So all of this subversive animation was hitting across the board kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I mean, excellent pick. We, like I said, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I would have felt stupid not bringing it up. You know what I mean? Well, now I feel stupid. I didn't know there was a problem with it. So I need to go. Well, do some research off off the books here. Well, they're what, they're rebooting it without. You it. don't subscribe to the list of problematic celebrities. They're <laughs> every, all problematic. So. Every morning, I get an email that says, "Guess what? This person you like fucked up." <laughs> every, every person is terrible. That's not news. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing is there there's so many people who are. Well, you're not allowed to like this anymore because it turns out this person's awful. Damn it. If I could only listen uh, to good or watch and ingest things good people did, it'd be very, very limited. Well, it, it would, you'd be listening to uh, uh, one, one of my potential picks for a bad thing. So I'll, I'll save that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hold on to that one. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with my first one. And, and I, this is tough because I'm really afraid. Chris, already, you already picked a movie. Yep. So I think I'm out of danger of you picking what was my number one pick. So I'm going to go to my number two pick because it's really my number one pick. <laughs> it's just that I was afraid my number one pick was going to get picked. Let me take you back to 1991. MTV is still a viable form of entertainment. It is 
the most influential pop culture machine there is. We get our style from it. We get our musical taste from it. We're exposed to new things from it. MTV, as we said, liquid television, massive. Uh, everyone is watching MTV. The MTV Video Music Awards are destination viewing every single year. I don't give a shit about the Oscars. I don't give a shit about the Billboard Music Awards or whatever else was coming on. But you better believe from 1984, 5 until 19, probably 96 or 7, every single year when the VMAs came on, my butt was in front of the TV watching every minute. And in 1991, we were gifted with the greatest live video music award performance in the history of the awards. And that is Prince performing Get Off. And you guys, this was the most intense experience of my, like, at that point, 15-year-old existence. Because it was like watching porn. First of all, it's Prince. So it's fantastic. This is September 5th, 1991. Uh, and you know Prince is performing. They've been hyping up Prince's performance. Uh, because he's Prince. And we know the new album is out. We've been hearing the singles. We don't know exactly what he's going to do. Well, Arsenio Hall comes out onto the stage and very clearly happy, thrilled, delighted, overwhelmed, giddy. Like Arsenio was so underrated as a personality, as a talk show host. Like the fact that he's kind of forgotten a little bit is shitty because that man guided us through the nineties. But Arsenio comes on stage and says, ladies and gentlemen, Prince and the lights go down and these fucking flames pop up from the back of the stage. And it's this beat. The beat, if you know the album, the beat of Get Off starts kicking in. And these dudes are walking around in a circle. And there's these like vague shadows all over the stage. And these flames are going off. And you're like, what is going on? And then Prince, in that yellow suit with his yellow cymbal guitar, walks out on this struts slides out onto stage and just falls down on his face. The dudes fall on top of him and then he gets up and hits his <laughs> and starts playing and the lights come up and you realize there are basically naked people all over the stage just fucking like simulated sex acts going on every there must have been a hundred people on that stage writhing around and 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 just making sex all over the place and prince is doing this song and it's incredible and it's the best like I, i've never seen to this day i've never seen anything quite like that performance on the vmas and then he turns around and he's got the butt cut out of the suit which i don't want to ruin anybody's day but that was not prince's actual butt it's fabric 
that's it's butt colored fabric <laughs> but still the effect was there you got it it's 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 one of the greatest things i've ever seen in my life it's absolutely amazing and if you go back and watch it now which by the way it, there's not an official version of it on on the internet the best version i was able to find don't watch the shitty youtube one that's all digitized um the best one i found is on vimeo so if you Google Prince VMA get off Vimeo, you should find the one that I watched, and I'll link it in the Needless Things uh, Facebook group uh, this weekend. It's it's pretty clear for the time. I mean, look, we got to take what we can get when it's something recorded off TV in 1991. Uh, but it's unbelievable, and this live performance has an extra verse and some extra instrumental stuff too that's not on the album version of the song uh it's it's amazing it blew me away at the time i i was just watching it like back in my seat if if mom had walked in the room i would have been mortified (laughs) it was filthy filth but it was awesome now do you guys remember this oh i remember the music awards for sure he had like the it was like cheetah yellow it was was bright bright yellow um like cut out everything was it was uh ma- macrame is that i don't is know that, I, I know i know, I I know what you're trying to say that's not question. what macrame is macrame I don't know is like term. i don't know what I'm talking or something about. It's, it's it's like cut out and some of it is see-through and some of it is like i said flesh-colored panels because if you look they're the shoulder pads like print it looks like prince has giant fleshy shoulders underneath it um but it's just the shoulder pads of the same fabric as the butt cheeks. Uh, but it's I, I always thought that was his ass, and now, now you've ruined something. I for know. Me. I, well, look, I was I have done a lot of research into Prince, and uh, <laughs> if I was going to be cursed with the knowledge that that was not actually his sweet peach, then everybody else has to know it too. <laughs> Boo, booty. <laughs> <laughs> So were you got were any of you watching this live when it happened or was it a hearing about it later thing? And back with my cousins, uh, you know, that type of stuff was destination television because all my cousins were in their 20s, so that was Oh yeah, yeah. thing back then. I mean, I remember seeing the Dice thing live, so I would have had to have seen this one live for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was that's that's what you did then. It was like that was appointment television. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But some people did. I I didn't see it live. I know I've seen it, but I don't also remember watching any VMAs or not, not like live and in person. I may have gone back and watched stuff later, like reruns of things after people said, Oh, Hey, you got to watch this when they replay it. Cause they would. Yeah. They, they always did the replay. And then I knew exactly when to replay it too, because I could turn on, you know, just the part I wanted to see and then go away again. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and that's the thing is like that, not, I didn't love everything on the VMAs, but my gosh, I just felt like I had to see it all because it, mm-hmm. it was it was what was happening. It was pop culture. Yeah, there was going to be something in school the next day to be discussed. Yeah, like, well, yeah, that's see? the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was uh, we didn't have water coolers at school, but it was going to be the water cooler <laughs> talk. It's going to be the the cafeteria chatter. I don't know what the hell we call that. <laughs> I don't, I don't and I believe uh, either Diamond or Pearl. I have no idea which, but I think one of them was from uh, your neck of the woods, Dave. That's entirely possible. Yeah, there was a dance studio 
um, a very at the time very well known dance studio. They actually competed with the dance studio that I went to, and uh, they were their one of their bragging things was that the owner's daughter was either Diamond or Pearl. I don't. I mean, Atlanta it. was was one of Prince's hangouts, so yeah. that doesn't surprise me a bit. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Sean, it is your turn to tell us what was awesome in 1991. So I'm actually going to bring us back. And this was uh, this was planned. This was my pick. And as we referenced it earlier, um, just talking about MTV and how influential it was. I mean, there's I, my pick for that. My TV show must watch TV was liquid television, um, which we had mentioned because everything about it was just mind blowing. It was um it was like you had said with Ren and Simpy, it was like underground comic around the time I just started to discover underground comics and that there was a whole other thing that wasn't superheroes and DC and Marvel. And there was this other work being done. And then you watch and like, you know, glue to the TV for Eon flux um, yeah. and just all the, the weird experimental stuff. And then stuff that would start there that you would see spilled over into like, I feel like Primus videos shared something with like some of the animators from liquid television. And uh, it was just like, it was really cool to see weird art featured on what felt like a major television channel, despite, you know, it's MTV and it's cable and it's targeting, you know, our demographic, but it's um, yeah, that was a, that was a game changer. And I was like, wow, this is cartoons that don't feel like cartoons at all. And it was a, it was a it was a mind expanding experience, for lack of a better way to put it. In uh, when I was a whopping sixteen years old, I have to correct myself. Uh, Beavis and Butthead didn't come in until the second season in nineteen ninety two. That's right. So, Chris, yeah. you you were right. Okay. Um. Yeah. I Liquid Television was another one that was every time, and I I don't remember when it came on. Uh, <sighs> and, and obviously it was late at night. Yeah, I want to say it was I, like Sunday nights or something. Yeah, I feel like it was one of those ones where it was like late enough that I was kind of hoping I wouldn't get a curfew. That's like you got to go to bed, sir. Um, but uh, but late enough that it could be interesting, but not so late that my parents are going to give me shit for being up all night. Um, and I'm looking at the episode list on Wikipedia now, and br- this is probably what hooked me is that the third episode opened with "Epic" by Faith No More. So I'm sure I'm flipping through channels. And then suddenly I see the video for Epic, and of course I'm sucked in. And well, I feel like I remember that. And I think that's like the first one that I saw. That's what would happen is they would. Oh, it was. It was Sunday nights. Um, they would open with a music video, and then it would kind of the sound would mess up, and it would kind of melt down the screen, and then they would go into. Uh, usually they had an interstitial type thing where it was like one thing that would be serialized throughout the episode to kind of connect yeah. it together. Yeah. And then there would be the shorts through there, but uh, it was mind blowing. And again, not, I didn't like everything in it, but it was all bite-sized chunks. So whatever you didn't like was over in under a minute or whatever. Yeah. And you moved on to the next thing, but yeah, Aeon Flux was definitely, I mean, I was, look, we're 15 year old dudes regardless of how cool like sci-fi oh wow what thoughty stuff this aeon flux is it's a chick <laughs> in barely any clothes doing acrobatics of course we yeah. were into that yeah 100 like there was no way we're not into that um yeah there was uh and and it was you know i so jen's a few years older than me and so she remembers uh spike and mike's 
Twisted Animation, Animation Festival. Festival. Yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of that stuff that spilled over into Liquid Television. So here's well, I, th- this I think thing. they pulled stuff directly from there. Yeah, I feel like there's one particular artist that did like a lot of weird stuff with like people crawling up their own noses. Richard Plimpton. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Plimptoons. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, Is and it Richard? Stuff, Is that right? It sounds right. I'm going to just believe you because you're the host. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it, so it was really interesting seeing stuff that in a weird way, it felt like it felt like it was targeted at me and my generation. But at the same Bill time, Plimpton. Also, Oh, Bill there we Plimpton. go. Yes. Which Richard's is his to, brother. Which to me sounds like somebody who hosts like Masterpiece Theater. This is true. Hello. Welcome to Masterpiece Theater. I'm Bill Plimpton. Uh, <laughs> he would go by William if That's it's true. Masterpiece That's Theater. True. Just true. saying. Yeah. He, he might do both. We don't know. We don't, we don't know the inner workings of the, the Plimpton. William Bill Plimpton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also felt like it was something that was meant for it. Like you're looking at something you're not supposed to look at. Like this was meant for somebody older. Yeah. And it's like it, it had that same kind of feeling like when you see adult movies as a kid and you're like, I shouldn't be watching this because my brain is not equipped to handle what I am seeing. And it was the same thing, but with animation and just doing weird stuff with like, this is a format I've literally been consuming every day of my life for the last 13, 14 years. Right. You're not supposed to make cartoons that aren't for kids. Right. Right. It's like, weird. This is a What's wrong funny. with you? Right. And it just it, and so it felt like it felt like looking behind the forbidden door a little bit and yeah. just kind of and, and going, oh, oh, you can do this. This is a thing. And then it just opens you up to an entire world. You're like, oh, well, I can go. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you're reading milk and cheese and flaming carrots. And, you know, suddenly everything needs to be drawn by Mike, Mike Allred. And you're like, oh, OK, my horizons have been expanded. Yeah, this was another one that was uh, just had a huge impact on the pop culture landscape. And then later on would lead to, I can't remember what the spinoff show was called, but they had like, uh, was it Alex Winter's show idiot box? Yes. Um, Felt like something that sort of followed along behind this. And then they had the other show that had the max and the, the giant head or whatever it was called. Oh, oh man. what was that called? Uh, looking now. Uh, okay, yeah. They had one that was called Cartoon Sushi. Oddities was that's right. Oddities had the Max and the the big head or whatever it was. Yeah, Cartoon Sushi, like all of these, uh, you know, a, a not kid animation. Yeah, that became you know, and that had existed before. Obviously, we had Ralph Ralph Bakshi. We had Heavy Metal. We had, you know. Uh, non-kid oriented animation was a thing but this was on readily accessible cable tv very different this was i arguably i think you make a case that this is the progenitor for adult swim and so much of what i I was gonna say the same yeah 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 absolutely all right excellent pick and i'm glad i'm glad you brought it up because it was it was my number four it was my (laughs) if one of these gets taken i go to liquid television because as important as it was i didn't there was a lot of it that just didn't land with me so it Mm -hmm. wasn't as it's culturally significant more so than it is dave significant i guess right right yeah it it was um it was an interesting thing because it was at a time where MTV, before Alternative was a brand. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it was like, oh, this is what alternative is. And it was something that really and uh, and I think I've talked about this when we talked about Faith No More. It was like first listening to Faith No More. I was like, oh, this speaks to me in a way that nothing else has before. I, I don't know what this cultural shift is, but I want to ride this wave as long as I can. And liquid television was it was just another piece of that puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Chris, what is your second awesome thing from 1991? So my second awesome thing from 1991 is also one of my all time favorite things, but we're going to go into music this time around for one of my favorite albums of all time. One of the, most influential albums in hip hop history. Uh, it also spawned a single that you would know whether you are a hip hop fan or not. I am talking about the low end theory by a tribe called quest. Oh yes. When I, when I searched 1991 albums and saw low end theory, I was like, well, Chris is going to have that one. covered." <laughs> <laughs> we all know that I love my tribe, uh, but my own personal favorite tribe song, which is excursions is actually the, uh, the first track on the album. So this was, uh, this was the one that really cemented my love for them. And just, it's one of those albums that I can listen to without skipping a track. Just everything about it, I think, is perfection. I just love the way everything vibes on this album. And it's a good album if you want stuff to kind of bop around and party to, like Scenario, or it's got the good stuff that you can just kind of drive around and chill to. So it's got a little something for everybody if you're into this genre. It's on my list of, like you said, albums that are perfect from beginning to end where you don't skip anything. And this was my first Tribe album. Um, People's people's travels rhythmic instinctive thing i can't ever remember the name of the first (laughs) album um i didn't get into that one until really maybe after midnight marauders to tell you the truth uh but low end theory was the first one that i found and just every second of the album is incredible uh to to me it's it's tribe's best work I think Mm -hmm. it's up there with 36 chambers and Paul's boutique and, and the best of its top 10 hip hop albums of all time for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and just, I I don't know. You can't even pick a, but a best track for me, probably. Oh gosh. When I was younger, I would have said bugging out, but I think show business is so good and is so indicative of what hip hop was going through at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and man, they were just on it. They were on fire here. And if anybody hasn't watched uh, the documentary that Michael Rappaport did about tribe called quest, you need to watch it. It's it's fantastic. It's actually been getting replayed on cable a lot lately. It's on like stars. It's so good. It's, it's, you know, I would, I was, I was concerned about how it would go. It's very real. It's mm-hmm. it's there are parts of it that are uncomfortable, but it is absolutely represents the legacy of this group. Yeah, um, they didn't yeah, shy this, away from the stuff in there. No, they don't at all. Like there's no, you know, a lot of times when you see something like that, it's almost a fluff piece. Like the mm-hmm. uh we I think a couple episodes ago we talked about the the Motley Crew biopic or whatever it was and how it avoided any of the really bad stuff. <laughs> But everything, this, I, right? <laughs> this does not. It it gets 
there are parts of it that are almost a little hard to watch. Like if you love this group, it's hard to see some of the relationships that they show in this documentary. Um, but yeah, this album, it, it's, it's fantastic from beginning to end. It's wonderful. If you don't have it in your collection, you're crazy. Anybody else got any uh, memories or thoughts about I, low end I, theory? I think I might have that on like physical media. And you know, I don't have any physical. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> I definitely do. I've got the, I've got the CD in the other room because I never got rid of my CDs because I, I don't trust this computer bullshit. <laughs> it's all uh, bad. But I do need. I'm currently in the process of getting my top fifty albums on vinyl, and this is one of the ones that I need to get in record form. I need to have it. All right. Uh, excellent choice uh beth what is your number two well i'm gonna use my number one pick for my number two pick because i'm not following low-end theory with my album choice <laughs> not okay. gonna that's go fair. well for me that's fair so i will go ahead and jump onto video games because i doubt anybody else has a lot of video games on here i don't <laughs> All right. Hooray. But whether or not you're a big video game player from 1991, if you've been a child any time in the last 25 years, you probably know this sound. Anybody? That sounds very Zeldish. It sounds exactly like finding a secret item in A Link to the Past of the Legend of Zelda series. And possibly the best one it's neck and neck with ocarina of time okay link to the past is number two right link to the past is number three. Oh, okay two link is the, the one. two is a crappy top down one where they try right to two is the one that everybody hates that i <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> okay if i want to play final fantasy i'll just go play final fantasy don't give me a link game <laughs> and make it final fantasy and just slap a link sticker on it Okay, anyway, so link, tell us about Link to the Past. Link to the Past is the one that actually is, it's top down, but it's also your first real good dungeon crawler. It was Super Nintendo, which, you know, obviously right. looking at it today, it looks like Atari <laughs> would to us now, but to children of today, it looks like Atari did to us then. Um, but it's got real fleshed out dungeons which we did not have in a Zelda game before where you're, you know, and it becomes tiresome in this day and age where you're still collecting keys and saving girls and fighting the same boss. But Mario's been through it this whole time too. If he can keep saving the same girl for 30 years, so can we, <laughs> but it's, it's the most fleshed out story filled real living world that we have in a Zelda game up to this point. And of course, many have come along later to do better, but this is what really kicked it all off by giving us a real living world of Hyrule. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because Super Nintendo launched in 91 in America, and I considered making it one of my choices but I didn't have a Super Nintendo for a couple of years after that. So again, cultural significance, not Dave's significance. So 
I didn't feel right picking Super Nintendo, but this game, once I did end up playing it, this is the game that made me appreciate the Zelda style because I liked Ad- Adventures of Link. Was that the second one? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. I liked that, but it was not a Zelda game. No. Really. As a matter of fact, was it? It wasn't like Super Mario Brothers 2 where it was some other game repurposed, was it? It almost I thought, seemed. I thought it was that they were just trying something different with okay. what was popular and, 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 at the time. And maybe it and, was, and they were they, trying they to compete with, with. They were trying to compete with PlayStation too, and I know Final Fantasy was getting very big at the time. So I think that's where that might have come from. I don't think they were competing with PlayStation. Okay, well, competing with whoever was making a Final <laughs> Fantasy game at that time. I didn't have a PlayStation. I played Nintendo for a bajillion like years. 90, PlayStation was like ninety six or something i didn't have one even when it came out who was uh it had to have been a pc game well final fantasy was originally squaresoft and what else would you been playing it on then just nintendo genesis was fantasy star that was their big role player but that's it it was it was nintendo genesis or I'm sorry, Nintendo, Sega Master System, I guess TurboGrafx-16 came right at the end. And then we got Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Um, but that, I mean, that was it. Well, okay, no, I, t- I take it back. Because we, we can't forget in the 80s, the incredible Intellivision. <laughs> but uh, a- anyway, we're getting way off track. Regardless. <laughs> I got um, that reference. This This Super Nintendo version of Zelda is the one that made me appreciate that style of game it was one of the first games i got when i did get a super nintendo which now that i'm thinking about it might not have been until 1995 when i was running a video game store um because i mean i I played my regular nintendo for years and years I, i i might not have had because i remember my sister having a genesis when i was still playing my regular nintendo um but anyway, yeah, uh, it's 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 a great game. I think it's the execution of it graphically. Obviously, it's superior to the original Zelda. Uh, it just it just got me in a way that the original Zelda didn't because I never liked it on Nintendo. Uh, I've played it now and I appreciate it, but back in the day, Zelda was not one of my games. Chris and Sean, you guys uh, have any experience with the Super Nintendo version of Zelda? Zelda's not the character you play as, right? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had the original Zelda game, but I did not have this for Super Nintendo. So, although I did play it, I was not it was not a game that I was investing my time in back then. Look, when you when you've got Super Street Fighter 2, what are you going to do? That's true. I also had my Genesis as well, so it was like I had a split time. I had to kind of pick my games wisely. Okay, let's this will be fun. Show well, we can't do show of hands. We'll go around. Uh, Sean, Super Nintendo or Genesis? I think we had a Super Nintendo. Beth, we know your answer. Yeah. I never Chris, had a Genesis. Chris, Super Nintendo or Genesis or both, I guess. I, I, I had both of them. Uh, for me, it was Super Nintendo was my preference. Um, like I said, my sister had a Genesis that I played from time to time. And then when I was running Video Game Exchange, I ended up with like every system, but... 
but Super Nintendo is my like if I had to pick between the two, Super Nintendo. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. Uh, oh, it's me. I'm up. I should probably write down. Beth's pick since I've been doing that. Uh, all right. So my number two. Oh, gosh. Which one of these do I want to go with? I know which one I want to go with. 1991. Uh, as I said, I'm 15 years old. Uh, I am developing my taste in movies, in comedies, in horror, in uh, all kinds of different things. My, my horizons are being expanded by my friends who have experienced different things than I have. Uh, and one movie comes along, you know, we've talked a little bit in this episode about how alternative and weird things were kind of really getting a foothold in the early nineties and in the cinemas in 1991, there wasn't much weirder than nothing but trouble. <laughs> Uh, which Chris, I'll tell you right now, when you started talking before, I was so afraid you were going to pick nothing but trouble. Uh, mainly because of the song on the soundtrack. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is not only, and look, this movie is universally panned critics despised it when it came out. And I never understood it because I love this movie, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Taylor Negron, uh, John Candy, this incredible cast doing just the weirdest, most bizarre shit you've ever seen. It's like a combination of Rocky Horror and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I love this movie. I loved it when it first came out. I love it now. And I kind of recognize now, um, you know, ha having lived a life since then. I recognize it was a troubled production and I see uh, sort of some of the holes in what could have been, but man, this movie is weird and funny and just batshit crazy. And I love it for that. And as Chris referenced, it features a performance by digital underground. One of the greatest, greatest hip hop groups of all time where in the movie shock G sort of, turns around, goes behind some other dudes, and then comes back up, and it's Humpty Hump. Uh, it, it's just... <laughs> I, I, I really genuinely love this movie. Uh, it's got some funny shit, and the weirdest thing about it, though, is as much as I love it, I don't know that there's one likable character in the whole movie. Chevy Chase's character is a dick. Demi, Demi Moore's character is an idiot. Um, all the people in Vulcanavia are terrible, terrible people. Like John Candy's character is probably the closest to, to having any kind of virtue or redeeming qualities. But man, I just, from beginning to end, I love this movie. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking at my notes that I made. So on a $40 million budget that went $5 million over budget when it left the box office, it netted a whopping $8.4 million. <laughs> it was not a financial success, not a shining star on the resumes of anybody involved. 
Uh, but I love it, man. I, I think it's an awesome movie. You guys have all seen Nothing But Trouble, right? Oh, for sure. That, I mean, this was another one where it got replayed for, I think, a good three or four years after it finally hit cable. I remember it being shown on HBO well into the like mid to late 90s. This was like a staple of cable television. Yes, yes, absolutely. This, this Beth, is before I was made in a lab. So I had <laughs> poor homunculus Sean. Sean, I can't say I'm surprised that you haven't yeah. seen it. Beth, how did we I, never watch this movie? I don't know. I recognize so I looked at, I'm looking it up on IMDB now and I recognize the cover art of it. And then I scroll down and I recognize that it has a 13 meta score. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. you can't go by those though you can't go by those uh, well, no, i'm, no, I'm aware but that's still pretty bad but but i mean that, uh, that is would never general... that would never keep me from watching a movie but it would make me go let me read some of these reviews before i watch this movie <laughs> to see what everyone finds so deplorable because that upsets really me that, that upsets me though that with with everything that we watched in our our time and in, in the incredible apartment of awesomeness that we never watch nothing but trouble. That's so weird to me. You might have been doing me a favor. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it's all you. I think I genuinely think you'll like this movie. I really right. do, Sean. I'll, I think you'll I'll like it, it too. All right, I'll you add know, it to Sean the list. will never watch it. I might. I, no, I probably oh, I will. I mean, will. Jen's probably seen it. So, I yeah, I I would bet money Jen has seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um, search she has. Now, now, when you mention it, <laughs> I cannot predict what her face will do, <laughs> but I bet she's seen it. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I look forward um, to asking her afterwards. <laughs> but I, I love it. I think it's great. It's weird. It's gross. It's funny. It, it's got lots of memorable stuff in it. It's got the, it, it's got the damn Yankees doing a song called Bone Stripper. Well, uh, 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 Taylor Negron and his crew are on a giant roller coaster of murder called the Bone Stripper. I mean, come on. Where else are you going to find Ted Nugent and Shock G even remotely close to each right. other? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and I think it's a crime that nobody has, you know, we've, it's weird this year on the podcast, we seem to have run into this a good bit where we're talking about a movie or something that somehow has not received the Shout Factory, Kino Lorber, Mill Creek treatment. And nothing but trouble has never gotten that special like Blu-ray release for some reason, and it needs to happen because the movie. De- it's look, it's fucking weird. It deserves it. I was thinking about that when uh, when you did the back to the beach needless commentary because right. that's how a- is that not a re- released? It's crazy. Back to the beach and nothing but trouble. These are two movies that you you guys that release weird shit on Blu-ray. <laughs> You're failing all of us by not putting these movies out. Shout Factory, where are you? <laughs> well, I, I, Shout Factory may be yeah, aiming a little high are. for these, but, <laughs> but, but somebody was, out there. Who was Arrow. the company that did Rad? That was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Rad was, uh, Rad was Vinegar Syndrome, and then it was yeah. Mill Creek, and now, now there's a third version coming out. Damn so we went, we went years with no Rad, and we've got the 4K, and then the Steelbook, and now just a regular Blu ray. Oh I've got to think at least Mill Creek should be able to get their hands on Back to the Beach and Nothing But Trouble. Yeah. But I, I was just thinking that uh, 
you know, you, you mentioned this and we mentioned Digital Underground, but a movie that is so loathed by critics and didn't make its money back is responsible for the breakout of Tupac Shakur. Yeah, absolutely. Because this, that was his, his verse on the soundtrack. Yeah. That, and, and if you watch the video, his, his appearance in that video is incredible. Mm-hmm. Brought into the video on one of those uh, sedan chairs being carried by, by four people. Uh, absolutely phenomenal Tupac gone and rock this uh, alright let's move on uh, Sean you are going to wrap up our second round what is your number two 1991 pick so I am going to go uh, a little bit a little bit deep here because um, there were so many albums and I, and I had a first pick but I, you know what I think I'm going to jump down to my third pick uh, PM Dawn in oh, 1991 gosh. <laughs> released of the heart of the soul and of the cross, the utopian experience, AKA that weird random hip hop song <laughs> that's sung over Spandau Ballet's true Flo- uh, floating on a river of eternal bliss or whatever <laughs> set, it is set adrift on memory bliss. I was hooked and I don't even, I here's what I think this <laughs> album came out right around the same time that I got introduced to uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson Yeah, no, I never did drugs. Uh, Maybe I should have. I Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, and I went nuts for transcendentalist stuff. (laughs) And I'm reading a details magazine review of this album, and they name dropped that. I think they like they did an interview, and I was like, I got to go get this album. And I kid you not, and everybody that knows me is going to believe this played the shit out of that cassette. I think I had to buy two cassettes. I was all in on it. And then like I bought their next album. Like I was the hugest mark for for PM Dawn and still to this day like if I just need to relax I'm going to put on PM Dawn and just listen to old PM Dawn stuff like I really <laughs> love this. This is great. This, this would all be horrifying and shocking if I didn't know you. This right. is the greatest segment <laughs> in the history of this show. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm going to go way out left field here and be like, "Yo, PM Dawn that's that's where it's at. Um, I'm crying. <laughs> I don't like the Beatles. Their uh, uh, "My Guitar Gently Weeps" cover by PM Dawn on their second album. Great song. <laughs> if you don't stop, I'm gonna have a stroke. <laughs> I feel like you're trolling us. <laughs> oh God, I may need more wine. <laughs> I can it's ridiculous but I can I put on uh this album and I can do most of the songs from memory. It's Oh my just, gosh, I'm so much. I'm I'm in such a state of distress right now <laughs> that our youngest dog has come to check on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. It's okay. I'm all right. <laughs> no he's not red he's ranger not. has just help. <laughs> melted my brain I, I mean that's that's what i'm here for really that's be honest. Every, that's, everybody, that's my role everybody should like what they like that's what we say here on needless things it, it, it was really I mean, a toss-up between this and use your illusion and i was like you know what i'm gonna be done i'm glad you did because yeah. use your illusion while great so played out well and there's only what there's a good album amongst those two and it's up for debate as to what songs would make up that album. You're you're not wrong, but I do appreciate because I love I love when we get those album releases that are like it's this album plus all the shit they recorded while they were making this album. Like I right. love that stuff. <laughs> and that's what Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 are. It's yeah. like 
this is the stuff that doesn't normally get released as part of the album. But we said, fuck it, and just put it on two albums. <laughs> Even though some of it's just not good enough to be heard by the public, we're guns right. and fucking roses, so right. whatever. And you're going to buy it regardless. So, no, I'm glad you yeah. brought up PM Dawn. And, and that yeah. that song was inescapable. It was a constant yeah, presence everywhere. on MTV. Um, I don't know that it was ever on Yo! MTV Raps, but that's okay. I, well, and that was the thing is because PM Dawn was not rap and it clearly wasn't rock. It was it was this weird outlier that had no real definition. I My favorite thing about PM Dawn is that it inspired the segment in Fear of a Black Hat when they the band if you haven't seen fear of a black hat um it is the far superior rap documentary to cb cb4 isn't that the chris rock movie yeah yes. yeah yeah fear of a black hat in my personal opinion directed written and directed by rusty cundiv who's one of my heroes uh fear of a black hat is way better than cb4 but that's just my personal opinion uh, and there is a segment in that where the band breaks up and they all go off in different sort of hip hop directions. And one of the guys starts basically a PM Dawn type group and it's hilarious. Uh, but I, if, if you have not seen fear of a black hat, put it on your list, watch it ASAP. It's fantastic. And that is yet another film that has not for some reason received the shout factory, Mill Creek arrow treatment. All right, I've said my piece. Sean, I love you for bringing up PM Dawn. You're the man. I'm not even, I'm just writing PM Dawn. I'm not even writing down Better <laughs> Drift. It, does, it doesn't. Nobody knows their They knows only they have, have the one, one song, right? <laughs> they put out one song and that was it. Uh, all right. I, after that, Chris, how do you follow that? Oh, wait. No, I, I, Chris, oh, wait. Wait. Stop. No, stop. I, yeah. I just realized we wrapped up round two. So that means it's time to move on to things we didn't love so much. So round three is stuff that we maybe didn't care for. Uh, so, Chris, that's actually what you're kicking us off with now, which shockingly, PM Dawn is not in this round. <laughs> I was about to say, no. this is where <laughs> Twist, Chris's version that he hates is PM Dawn. <laughs> It is the dawn of a new round. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But uh, no, Sean, I, I heard you say that you're not a Beatles fan and you love PM Dawn. I, I actually have more PM Dawn albums than I have Beatles albums because I don't have any Beatles albums because I'm not a fan either. There, uh, there so you go. I'm right there with you. Uh, but no, my thing that I disliked, uh, just to kind of keep up the trend of things that have uh, sentimental value or long-term value to me and my fandom, uh, if you remember in previous episodes, I mentioned how my family was obsessed with Two things when I was growing up uh, as far as television, and it was Dallas and Dynasty. Those were the two shows that you had to take the phone off the hook and shut the doors. And <laughs> if you weren't in the house, you had to stay outside until the episode was over because this was, <laughs> this was appointment viewing every week. And in 1991, uh, several years after the finale of Dynasty, ABC brought back Dynasty with a reunion miniseries that omitted many of the plot points that the series ended on uh although they ended on cliffhangers they brought it back with a little bit of a twist to the plot they brought it back with different actors in major roles and although i was happy to see people that i had become fond of by watching them on television for years prior throughout my youth 
it was just a swing and a miss. It just did not hold up and did not hold the candle to previous seasons. So uh, it was not something that my family and I were as excited about after the fact as we were going into it. I have literally no input about the dynasty reunion. I figured that I might be the only one mentioning this one. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> oh. So with that, let's move on. You can on. take my word for it. That's, that's <laughs> fine. I, w- I will. I will. I will avoid I, the dynasty reunion miniseries. Like I believe plane. you. And yes, I will also stay away from it. I was, I was just about to watch it tonight. <laughs> uh, Beth, what, what is your uh, not so favorite pick? Uh, well, it's also music, but um, not PM Dawn. Uh, it, <laughs> it is the song that made me want to shoot myself in 1991 that wasn't PM Dawn oh, because no. it was by two bands that I really, really like. So you take oh. R.E.M. and then you take the B-52s Kate Pearson and then they get together and they make shiny, happy people. <laughs> And I that's thought for all... sure you were going to say every uh, everything I do, I do for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so you're telling me Shiny Happy People by Kate Pearson and R.E.M. is worse than Everything I Do, I Do for You by Brian Adams. Yes. Yeah, I could get with that. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. I will stand solidly behind that because if for nothing else, I like me some irony and Brian Adams has got a lot of it. Shiny, happy people. No irony. Such a sincere, happy, wonderful song. I, I, I cannot believe you right now. You can't? Well, okay. <laughs> I, like I, I can... said, I love the B-52s. I love upbeat stuff. This was not it. And hearing it everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Walking into every single store in the world. Hearing it on people's cassette players it, on the it, bus home, it was it everywhere. Was, yeah, what album yeah. was it? Out of time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which was not a bad album. I mean, oh, it was a great album. You're right. Like, I don't hate that song. I never hated that song. However, you're right. It was everywhere, and like, it felt like it was used in everything, and it was just. If it had just been like kind of a one-off, uh, overly silly, overly joyful track on the album, and it hadn't gotten the radio play and video play that it got, I don't think it would have been as bad. But it just got pounded into our faces forever. So yeah, you're you're not wrong, but I, I just I don't I don't hate well, the song. But yeah, in the I, context I get it. of the rest of the album too, it just feels yeah, so yeah, it out is. of place. Well, and it also it kind almost of a downer album overall. It, it is. It almost feels like you know we know the rest of this album is pretty dour. So let's let's throw in this. I mean, you can go upbeat, but to go from like here to to way yeah, yeah it's, up here, it's too much. It's, it's too, too much. much. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to hate on people who like it, you know, like your thing, like your being on. Um, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to say this because I do have a video game thing to note from 1991. I think people might not like that. It's a thing that I hate, but I don't care because fuck 
Battletoads. <laughs> Fuck that game. <laughs> difficult toad ass. And you can take that hoverboard level and you can jam it up Satan's fiery butthole. <laughs> I hate that game with a passion. I love the character design. I love the concept. I love let's rip off Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and not even like try to hide that that's what we're doing. That's fine. But man, that game is the hardest motherfucker I've ever played in my life. I finished Ninja Gaiden, the, the original and the Xbox one. But Battletoads is just awful. I hate it to this day. I hate that game. Well, Fuck I'm a fine. Bunch of Battletoads. I'm fine if you want to rip off a game, but how about you rip it off in such a way that it's playable? Because I couldn't finish the Ninja Turtle game because it was so hard. So if you want to rip it off and be successful at it, make it easier to beat than the game you're ripping off. So I loved, which, which this is bizarre. I loved that first Ninja Turtles game, which most people hate because it so is so hard. difficult. And people like the second game uh, that was based on the arcade game, uh, which I don't like as much. I really, really liked that first game. And my memory of it, though, is kind of blurry. I, I didn't feel like I'd ever finished it, but I thought I'd gotten reasonably far in it. I watched a run-through uh, up on YouTube with Phantom Jr. the other day, and I got to like the third stage and that was it. That was as far as I ever got in that game. It's hard as shit, but I guess it's just more, I don't know. I, I it, it was Ninja Turtles and anything Ninja Turtles could do no wrong by me, but Battletoads, fuck that shit. <laughs> Did, have you guys played? Well, Beth, obviously you've played Battletoads. I wouldn't but, say I hate it, but I certainly didn't like it. Sean, Chris, have you guys experienced this misery? Yeah, I've, I've never played it. I've played it, but not in years, and I don't remember liking it the first time I played it. Good enough. That's all we need. <laughs> Unanimous decision. Battletoads <laughs> is the devil. Uh, all right, let's move on. Sean, what is something from 1991 that you weren't so crazy about? Knight Rider 2000. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> It's so bad. I you, you're not even allowed to bring that up. I mean, tell us. <laughs> okay, I'm con us. I'm confused. What Knight Rider 2000 in 1991? Because right, in so 1991, 2000 was the future. Right. And and then to make matters oh. worse, they get rid of Kit because it's the future, and they come up with the Knight 4000. So like the year, it's it makes no sense. It's 1990. The show's called Knight Rider 2000. And kit the kit version is kit four thousand. I I will grant because it's set in two thousand, but you have to make kit even more advanced. So he's right. four thousand. He's right. twice as advanced and, as the year. Right, and, but, and he's the twice only as advancement that he could drive on water. Was that the I, only special thing? I think so. I don't. I, I I've purged a lot of it from my memory because I hated it so much. <laughs> because I was a huge Night Rider. I mean, it's the Hoff. It's great. Like Dude, love Night Rider. Night Rider was was one of our pantheon of chips. Night Rider A team. Yeah, yeah, and I would toss in Miami Vice because again, I'm a car nerd, and so like you get in the Ferraris from Miami sure, Vice, and sure. I'm like, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. And to be honest, the Night 4000 was a Dodge Stealth, which I kind of liked. Uh, it was kind of a cool car, but then they put all this weird shit on it. 
and it made it not cool. And it just, it bastardized everything. And I guess it's because kit was technically night industries 2000. That was the TT and kit. Right. But so then I guess his name would have been Kift and maybe they should have just called it that. <laughs> Kift. It's terrible. <laughs> the night industries 4,000. That sounds like oh. something you have to look up on the urban dictionary. Right. Exactly. Like, Oh, I got hit in the Kift. And you're like, Oh, that doesn't sound good for no. anybody. Um, yeah. So that, that show was just every remake of Knight Rider has been a giant disappointment awful and this is no uh no exception uh i've mentioned him on the show before but i'm going to mention him again now uh the toy galaxy youtube channel has a Mm. great episode about knight rider uh that discusses knight rider 2000 i I recommend everybody go watch that Ugh, (laughs) gross we're gonna need some good stuff to get this sour taste out of our mouths uh, Chris, please wrap up our round of of what hit. I think this is the worst bad round we've ever had. Because <laughs> everything's actually pretty bad. It's all really <laughs> indefensibly bad. There's no saving grace from anybody. But, no. And we transitioned off of my PM Dawn is a good thing. So I guess we just sort of started low and stayed <laughs> in, there. In as retrospect, far as y'all are concerned. In retrospect, PM Dawn seems not so bad. Yeah. I could listen to a PM Don, the one PM Don song now. <laughs> All right, Chris, please wrap wrap up this round of horrors. All right, so we're going to go back to TV because when I was a kid, two of my favorite shows growing up, I've already mentioned Dallas and another one, which is probably my son's favorite show at this point, and he's only six, is Three's Company. So what could be better than those two shows? How about taking the main stars and putting them together as parents of their own family unit I'm talking, of course, about Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summers in Step by Step, premiering on ABC in September of 1991. Wow. Okay, and I, I mistakenly said wrap up this round. I meant pull us out of this round of horror. Uh, <laughs> so I remember Step by Step being a thing. It was never one of my shows. I don't know that I've seen a single episode of it. Give us, give us a little bit more about this show. So it was part of the TGIF lineup on ABC. So Family Matters, Boy Meets World, all that type of stuff. And what it was, was they were looking for a project for Suzanne Summers, and Patrick Duffy was guaranteed a new series by, uh, I think it was Lorimar Productions, once Dallas ended. So it was a modern spin on the Brady Bunch where they were both divorcees um, or they had lost their significant others and they met on a cruise and got married. So it was about getting married and then instead of you know the wife had the girls and the guy had the boys they each had you know a, a mixed batch of children and it was about having them all come in under one roof and then uh you had uh frank which was patrick duffy's character his nephew uh which was played by sasha mitchell of the uh, kickboxer sequels fame uh he played cody the wacky nephew uh one of the daughters was played by stacy keenan who was the girl from my two dads so you had oh, all okay. these tv veterans uh, kind of mingled in into the cast and it was really just a, a modern spin like a 90s spin on the Brady Bunch but it was just one of those shows that I was really taken by it could have been because I had the fandom of the uh, the central characters uh, Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summers from their other shows but it's uh, it's still streaming on Hulu so it's another show that my son has actually gotten into so we've been watching it recently and I think that's what put it over the top for me because it, it does have some longevity I mean you know me. I like a lot of wacky stuff. I like a lot of out there stuff, as we all do. But 
seeing my son latch on to some of those things, it kind of adds a little bit of that sentimental value to him. So that's why I threw that on my list for tonight. Well, I'm, I'm always looking for sitcoms to Cause I like I like to watch a sitcom as I'm falling asleep right now. I'm watching wings. Uh, but are you I'll, watching I'll... it on the wings channel on Pluto TV? No, I'm watching it on Hulu <laughs> actually. So that's what I was going to say is I'm going to have to add step-by-step to my Hulu playlist and check it out. And it's worth noting step-by-step, such a good show that new kids on the block wrote a song about it years later. I'm just kidding. Of course (laughs) that song while awesome is not about this TV show, but I actually think that song is from 1991. Is it really? I believe so. I need to, I need to look that up right we've now. Got, uh, we've got no, to check this June, out. June of 1990. June of 1990. Oh, it's okay. before 91. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. See, I I placed it later. So I I think it was a huge influence on the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In much the same way that that uh, Batman the animated series was spawned from Batman Returns. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it just like that. Um that's that's funny. I, I the the reason step by step is in my head. I'm going to share this little factoid with you guys right now. This stays between the four of us. Please don't spread this out to the public. Uh, <laughs> I, I, podcast. I recently purchased an album on Amazon called "Now That's What I Call '90s." <laughs> and I'm gonna, hang on, I got to tweet this. I applaud this decision. <laughs> I applaud this. And I don't know what it is, you guys. I fucking hated this music back then. But it's got Backstreet Boys and and New Kids on the Block and uh, everything but the girl and uh, uh, oh uh, Bel Biv DeVoe Montel Jordan mm-hmm. dude this is how we Look. do it is one of the greatest fucking songs of all time <laughs> that song is amazing it's unbelievable that's like the ultimate party jam it's yeah. incredible so this so they're like. 40 songs on this thing. No, wait, I'll take it back. I think they're, uh, they're like 20 on this one. I've got another one called now. That's what I call new wave eighties. That has 40 songs, dude. These, these now albums or whatever of yesteryear. Great stuff. All right. Anyway, step-by-step I'm going to check it out. Uh, Beth, Sean, did you guys watch step-by-step ever? It sounds familiar, but I've never seen it. Step-by-step. Ooh, not listening to that song again either. Uh, <laughs> I would so much rather listen to InSync and the Backstreet Boys than I would New Kids on the Block. New Kids on the Crazy. Block are definitely not as good, um, but they have their charms. But yeah, Backstreet and InSync are way better. I They're want it that produce. way. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit! Holy oh, shit! He, you guys, he likes he likes them so much that he calls them Backstreet, not Backstreet Boys. Backstreet. Yeah, They're just Backstreet. Backstreet. They're back. Backstreet's all right. back. All right. All right. Uh, Beth, yeah, I, I, <laughs> come in here and save me. What's your, what's your second pick? You've dug yourself into a hole. Wait, are we still doing bad things? You said second pick. Uh, no, uh, we're in good things now. This okay, is we're back to good. Okay, I thought I thought this we is were. your second pick. Where step by step is a good thing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Suzanne Summers and Stacey Keenan. That that did things to a young Sean. Okay, so it's my third pick of good. Oh, things. you're right. You're right. Okay, yeah, yeah, I just yeah, sorry, I'm just sorry. clarifying that I I'm, didn't I'm, delete my bad thing too soon. I've <laughs> I've got Backstreet in my head now, so I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I am also picking a movie that has been robbed of a new release uh, that came out this year, and that oh, is no. Drop Dead Fred. Ooh. 
Ooh. Absolutely. Featuring Rick Mayall and Phoebe Cates. I remember MTV started running The Young Ones in the late 80s, I think, mid to late 80s. And I'd already seen it and become a huge fan of The Young Ones at that point. So when Drop Dead Fred came out, my mom and I instantly ran off to the theater to go see this. And it was magical. And I realized people have issues with it nowadays because people have issues with everything nowadays and it wasn't sensitive enough to mental illness or some such but it was a delightful romp and that's all you need to take it for rick mail plays an imaginary friend to phoebe cates and gets her in all kinds of trouble with her horrible mother marcia mason who is super mean to her causes her father to leave leaving phoebe cates an emotional wreck Rick Mayall is there as her imaginary friend to lift her up and pull her out of her doldrums until she grows up and forgets about him and becomes a miserable grown-up. So in that instance, she needs Rick Mayall to come save her. And who doesn't need an imaginary friend to come save them from their wreck of a life once in a while? I think everybody does. And I think that this movie is robbed out of a special new release because it has not had anything since a Blu-ray in 2003. And that is a crime. How how has that not had multiple? Yeah, releases? that seems right. That's weird. Because th- this one, like I-, I would say, this more so than nothing but trouble for sure has has a cult following and, mm-hmm. and has some renown. Uh, personally, not a fan. I That's fair. I just I just find Rick Mayall very off putting. <laughs> that is also I, fair. Which which <laughs> is kind of his thing. So. Yeah. I guess good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. This one didn't land with me, but it is it is a big deal, and it does it absolutely deserves some kind of special release. I don't know how this hasn't been revisited uh, by somebody, but I guess I would be curious to know, like if if we could do a list of big cult classics what has been omitted because i think of all the weird little shit which i guess weird little shit is probably easier to get the rights to and Mm -hmm. and and you do have to balance expenses or whatever but it seems like drop dead fred is something that people would jump on you would think it i feel like it gets a it rerun well and who even knows anymore but i feel like it reruns on stuff like i've i feel like i've seen it yeah yeah Maybe it makes more money in a syndicated format than it does to release it. Well, and I wonder if that's a factor, too. Is Yeah, is, could is be. Some stuff, although I don't think nothing but trouble fits into this category, but <laughs> but some stuff does better with, with some kind of streaming license than it would with a home release license. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know um, how all that stuff works. Yeah, definitely a noteworthy film from 1991. I, any more about Drop Dead Fred? I saw in the theater. Yeah. Oh, you same. really? Yeah. I, that, Sean, that was... Sean saw a movie in the theater. Sorry, Chris, not to take that away from you, but I'm just. Oh, Chris shocked. saw it in the theater. Sean. But yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. I, I saw it in the theater as well. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I know. I was fully formed and uh, <laughs> I, I related to both Phoebe and Fred. I was like at different points in the movie. I was like, <laughs> I relate to both of y'all. I got, I, I, I see what's going on here. Well, yeah. Uh, and, and another kind of eminently 90s thing uh in that it was something weird and different uh it kind of stands stands out as a a piece of alternative culture 
for the presence of Phoebe Cates and for just the subject matter and the weirdness of the movie. Uh, sort of following in the wake of Beetlejuice a little bit. Uh, mm. kind, kind of uh, where if Beetlejuice hadn't happened, this might not have gotten made, that kind of thing. Uh, a, a weird movie worth recognizing. Yeah, kind of. I, I think there's a, a look at Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands. There's that kind of, you know, that, that lineage you could draw to just like weirdo it's, stuff. It's weird that there's not a drop dead Fred figure. This is also right. true. Yeah. How has that not happened? Or yeah. like a plush toy or something. I don't know. Or a, a reaction figure. Yeah, well, NECA. Because yeah, that is literally one of those of everybody. Is, is there a Funko Pop? They've done a Funko Pop of everything. Is yeah, there a it's not Funko even a Pop. pop? <laughs> what the heck I is mean, going on? There's probably a Funko Pop of me. How is there not a drop in? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm going to move on to my final uh, pick of something I love from 1991. And unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to revisit this today because I don't know how or why. It, it's I, I no longer own this due to either shitbag roommate, flooding, or I never would have sold it. So I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those two things. Uh, but my next pick is Marvel Comics Presents 72 to 84, the March to September issues, uh, the Weapon X story written and drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. This was huge to me. 1991. I am deep, deep, deep into comic books. I'm going to the con. This is the point where I'm going to the comic shop every week. I've got my pull list for the first time. I've got those guys. Like I go in and I pick up my uncanny X-Men and, and whatever else uh, probably detective comics but marvel comics presents is a book that the guy at the comic shop told me you're gonna want i wasn't buying it previous to issue 72 the guy at the comic shop said you're gonna want to start getting marvel comics presents because they're gonna tell wolverine's origin story and i said bullshit because we don't know Wolverine's origin story. We don't know where he come came from. We don't know what he is. We don't know why he's got his claws. What do you mean his origin story? And they were like Barry Windsor Smith, who I'd never heard of at this point. I didn't really, I didn't know anything about Conan comics. I didn't know Barry Windsor Smith as a name. Uh, but he was like, I'm telling you right now, this guy is an incredible artist. He's an incredible creator. And he's doing this really special Wolverine story. This is a big deal. So I got these issues and not only did they change everything about the character of Wolverine, making him this sympathetic character who, with this tragic past, but the art and the storytelling of, because Marvel comics presents, if you don't know, each issue has, uh, I think it was two or three stories. So it's 22 pages, but each story takes up uh, like eight, seven eight pages so it's a serialized thing so over the course of these issues this one story plays out alongside other stories so it's kind of a showcase for artists to do things that are a little different that wouldn't have been in the mainstream books uh, which is why this weapon x story got told and now 
uh, Wolverine's Origins Weapon X are, are so famous, they made a movie out of it. But this comic at the time was, it had a darkness and a violence and a despair to it that were very different from anything else that I had seen. It was almost like a slasher movie in that after Wolverine has had this procedure done to him where this adamantium bonded to his skeleton, uh, he's stalking, he's hunting down these people from the Weapon X project. And it's, you feel for this guy. He's nothing more than an animal at this point. And up till now, we've seen Logan Wolverine as this, you know, gruff character, but the, he's kind of the the cornerstone of the X-Men team. But now we're seeing him kind of broken down to his base level. And we're seeing where this berserker rage came from, where this violence and this anger that we've seen from this character, where the root of it is. Uh, and it's being told in a way that really couldn't have at the time been told in a conventional monthly comic. Uh, it, it just, and plus Barry Windsor Smith's art is next level comic book art. So this was huge for me and it led me to continue collecting Marvel comics presents where I discovered the work of uh, Sam Keith. And that's a whole other episode I could get into, but this this Weapon X was, you know, now we just take it as a given. We know what happened to, to Wolverine. We know about the whole program, uh, and it's been expanded upon greatly in many different ways, some of them good, some of them not. But at the time, this flashback story was just absolutely incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. Have you guys read... The, it's it's been collected many many times it's available in trade paperback form it's been in omnibuses of wolverine stories uh have you guys read these i've read it i didn't read the original issues when it came out i read it in tpb format years later but yeah. i've got it i've got it in my collection yeah i i agree it's it, i mean it's one of the most pivotal stories in wolverine history if not the most pivotal story in its history because you get in all that backstory in a manner that we weren't really getting those mainstream characters at the time, you know, we weren't getting anything like that with Spider-Man or even any of the other X-Men. So it was a nice way to kind of make him stand out from the pack. And it kind of leaned into where we were going in the nineties with like that, that darker feel yeah. and that cutting edge counterculture type of stuff. And it was, it was unusual to get that kind of flashback stuff because for most characters, we knew their stories because we had been with them from the beginning uh, but Wolverine was a little different. You know, he just popped up in the Hulk comic and just kind of stuck around from there. We didn't really know what his deal was. So this was this was something different. Uh, all right, Sean, it's come down to you. I've been saving this one because I thought for sure it was going to come up and I'm really surprised that it hasn't. But I'm going to finish this off with Bill and Ted's bogus journey oh man oh. it was on my list it is by no means as good as bill and ted's excellent adventure but i i, I don't it, know man it, I, I mean love I, it. I, I, yeah the, i keep at it the up time there. at the time though I, I didn't like it as much it uh the, the the thing that i initially struggled with when i watched it is um 
you know, when you watch Bill and Ted's uh, uh, Excellent Adventure, everything is new. So then you're watching it and you're like, okay, well, all right. So we know kind of what the shtick is now. And so that was where it took me a second. But then once I gave in and was like, this is amazing. And then Jim Martin shows up and I was like, okay, I'm all in now. Uh, and because uh, I was just like, what's Faith No More's guitarist? Well, Jim, Jim Martin shows up during the opening credits. So you were yeah. in pretty quickly. Quit. Yeah, it, it took no time at all. It took no time at all. And uh, the... Uh, <laughs> The, there was uh, I, I had a girlfriend at the time. And the most amusing part of this is that I can track the entirety of the relationship because the first date was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And the last date was Bill and Ted's bogus journey <laughs> because she couldn't be more annoyed with me geeking out the entire time. Like I walked out of the theater going blah, 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 and playing the guitar and doing that like every two seconds and losing my mind. Um, and uh, and then when the. Um, the perfect crime plays in the movie, doesn't it? Yes, it the does. Faith and War song. Yeah. Yes. When that came on, I, of course, lost my shit. And it, uh, it plays when they're in the van driving out to the desert before the evil robot. Yes. Killed them. Yes. Um, and uh, and then the ZZ Top beards at the end. And yeah, so basically we walked into that movie. A couple walked out of that movie. Not a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it yet. But I was perfectly fine with that. I was like, if that's going to be the breaking point, it's Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I will die on that hill because this movie was amazing. And, and now uh, you yourself have a ZZ Top beard. I do. <laughs> and it just comes full circle. And I still don't know how to play my guitar. So there's that. Um, but uh, and the soundtrack is not just the perfect crime, but the soundtrack is just fucking amazing. Uh, we watched we we did one and two back to back recently. I actually still haven't seen the new one. Um, but uh, when the when the new one came out, we went Dude, ahead and just watch watched the, the new the old one. Ones. It's great. I, look, I'm late to the party. We were watching well, old it's, stuff. That's your thing. It's, I know. It's what I do. <laughs> I get to things like years after, which is why it's amazing. I saw this when it was in theaters. He, th when he it saw came this out. in the theater in 2002. Yep. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> uh, no, in theaters, uh, Snellville. There's now a Northern Tool there but there used to be a movie theater where that was there are a lot uh, of tools in <laughs> you are not wrong i was gonna uh, say i thought they were southern tools but you know they could, <laughs> they could be transplants snailville uh yeah it's snailville literally the same theater where i saw uh robin hood prince of thieves so that was uh there was a trajectory there that i was not aware of until much later but uh yeah, I, I was really surprised that one did not come up. That was probably one of the highlights as far as in a year full of good movies, good movies and good music. But that one definitely stands out. It's like, oh, that was a there's a pin in that part of my timeline. I, I love Bogus Journey. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say I prefer it, but I, I, I love it because it's weird and it's different. And mm -hmm. they they really did kind of go out on a limb with it. I mean, the original working title was Bill and Ted Go to Hell. And yeah, yeah. they still go to hell. They just couldn't call it that anymore. <laughs> right. uh, I, I'm a big, big fan. The only thing in the whole movie I don't like is Station. Station. Me too. Me out. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like Station. But Death is fantastic. Oh the, my Death God. is the best. Yeah, it, he really the, is. The whole movie is just fun and great. Uh, I, 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 I dig the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah, just pure fun, silly. And which is what the, this movie should the, be. Over the end kiss god gave rock and roll to you like oh my god. honestly the whole franchise could have ended right there and and if the third movie hadn't ended up being so perfect and by the way it is 
I would have felt like it should have, but but they really do. The third movie is is powerful. I was very impressed with how they kind of brought it all around. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Bogus Journey, man. I, I really do. Awesome. Well, I will I will add the third one to the list post haste. Yeah, you got to get on that. It grew on me. I didn't love it as much at first, but it did grow on me. And and now death is one of my favorite things ever. And I'm like, how is how is he not in the first movie? <laughs> how, how is he not in every way, bit right of it? Start. I know, but yeah, he's I, such a, he's such a great character. We're, we're binging Agents of Shield, and every time he shows up as the president, I want him to just like wink at the camera as death. <laughs> come on, well, man! Come on! I think part of the reason Bogus Journey holds a little different place in my heart is uh, eighty nine, ninety, ninety one is when I started going to see movies with my friends. Mm. and it's one of those theatrical movies i didn't see the first bill and ted in the theater but i saw bogus journey in the theater with a group of friends probably the same group of friends that i saw batman and that i saw uh ninja turtles and uhf like so it's part of that for me personally that legacy of we all went and saw these movies together yeah absolutely any other uh, bogus journey thoughts, Chris? Bogus journey, where does it land on your radar? Uh, definitely a fan. Uh, I do love the first one more, but I liked Bogus Journey in Bill and Ted enough that I used to actually get the Marvel comic book on a subscription sent to my house. <laughs> nice. And I was think I one, still have several issues. Was that one Marvel? No, that was yeah, that was Marvel. That wasn't Star. I was thinking Star Comics, but I think Star Comics might have been dead by '91. Yeah, I think Star, yeah, because Star, like the Star stuff I had was like Peter Porker and stuff like that. So that was like 86, 87. Yeah, Mad, Mad Balls had a Star comic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Masters of the Universe, I think, was Star Comics at yeah, the time. Or, okay, that's a weird one because DC and Marvel both did Masters of the Universe comics, which is crazy. Um, But anyway, Bogus Journey, I think a great way to to play this out if i could play god gave rock and roll to you without getting copyrighted on youtube i would play it right now we can uh, all you guys it. what if we sing it poorly <laughs> we, we could do that that's the only way i know to sing and i'm not god, doing it <laughs> god gave rock, rock and, roll and roll to you gave rock and roll to you Put, Put it in the souls of everyone. Come on, everybody! <laughs> we have been given a gift, and that gift is rock and roll! <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking about 1991. Before we go, Red Ranger, are you up to anything? What are you doing No, now? you know me. I hate fun. I don't do it. <laughs> beth where can we find you online what are you up to well you can sometimes find me here but most often you can find me doing our star wars fiction podcast execute chapter 66 wherever you get your favorite podcasts and uh chris i know you got a lot going on uh you you write you do podcast you got a toy you got a toy side gig (laughs) 
<laughs> What's I'm going just on a, with you? a jack of all trades. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to find out what I'm up to in the toy world, please head on over to figurestoycompany.com for all the latest in the world of retro action figures from DC Comics, Hanna-Barbera, and more. We just launched a few new releases recently. We've got Shaggy and Daphne based on the costumes from the That's Snow Ghost episode of Scooby-Doo. We've got Halo from The Outsiders. Uh, the Swamp Thing DC Comics retro figure has been one of the biggest hits of the year. Everybody's loving that one. Uh, and as you know, a lot of wrestling stuff that's unannounced that's on the way and uh, some cool stuff that just came out. We've got the Bloody Variant New Jack back uh, in stock. It is part of the Legends line. We're going to be doing some Bloody Variant action figures where they make sense. And besides all of that stuff at Figures Toy Company, I am also writing movie reviews over at BulletproofAction.com. I am on my personal Twitter account at Zach Malibu, and I am here to talk about 1991 and every other year moving forward as long as we can get this group together. Uh, well, you guys, I think we pretty much have to get back together in a couple of months here and take a look at 1981, which, <sighs> unless I'm wrong, is the year you were born, Chris. <laughs> Uh, no, I was I was born in December of 1980. So, okay. oh, well, you, then you were around for eighty one. Yeah, so I, Chris, I was around. A Chris's favorite of thing was turning one. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> baby bottle on my walk. mouth, some baby powder on my ass. I was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, you guys. We'll be talking to you again soon. Oh man, I was about to drop some dope rhymes on you guys when I realized that I need to hold some 1991 goodness back for the 1991 Dragon Con panel or for Geek Year 1991 live at Dragon Con. Because uh, honestly, I had a little bit of a tough time picking things for 1991. There wasn't a lot that like really excited me, but it just hit me. One of my favorite things of all time is from 1991 and I didn't even mention it but I think because it sort of, to me, transcends an era a little bit. But if you want to find out what that is, you can come see the Needless Things podcast live at Dragon Con. Or after Dragon Con, we will be uh, publishing it as a full episode. So there you go. I hope you had fun listening. Uh, please go check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, share. Uh, I'm trying to come up with some kind of reward or enticement to hit a certain number of subscriptions but like i gotta be a realistic i gotta be a realistic i gotta be realistic uh you know obviously i want to hit a thousand because that's the point where you can monetize um and and look we're we're on our way but i i don't know i'll figure something out uh, but anyway, you guys, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued interest in Needless Things. My only intent is to keep being better and bigger and, and just bringing entertainment in as many ways as I possibly can. Uh, follow Needless Things on Instagram, Needless Things Podcast, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. Join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Uh, you have to answer three questions, but they're very simple, but they're very essential and necessary. Uh, and there you go. That's all I got for you this week. I hope you had fun. Thanks for tuning in. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.